Hello, and welcome to the Just In Stride podcast. I'm your host, Justin Pugliese. If you love endurance sports, you've definitely come to the right place. On this show, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, and professionals who can help us reach our true potential. Being a student of distance running for over 10 years and interviewing people in the sport for the last five, I've learned a ton, but there's always more to discover. Everyone has a story, and I know you'll resonate with each of our guests as we embark on this new journey together. Join us at home, on the road, or while you run. Together, we'll have some fun. So follow along on Instagram at JustInStridePod and your favorite podcast platform and prepare to be inspired. Come along for the ride with Just In Stride. This episode is presented by our friends at Exact Nutrition, a tasty and healthy way for you to fuel your body before, during, and after a solid training session. I can't leave the house without a few fruit bars in my pocket and they never make it back home. Exact is offering you 15% off your order when you use the code JUSTINSTRIDE. So head to exactnutrition.com and fuel your goals today. Part of what makes this show a success is your involvement, dedication, and recommendations. When you like something about the show, you let me know. And when you have suggestions, you let me know too. And for that, I'm grateful. It helps me learn, develop, and grow as a creator that I can hopefully translate into an even better listening experience. On this episode of Justin Stride, I had an uplifting conversation with Olympic hurdler, silver medalist, and keynote speaker, Sarah Wells. She wasn't a natural athlete in high school by any means, but her track coach saw potential in her that she didn't even see in herself. And was he ever right? Sarah harnessed that talent and became one of the best 400 meter hurdlers in Canada, ultimately landing her a spot on the 2012 Olympic team in London. That achievement certainly didn't come without its challenges and adversity along the way. She shares the power of belief in oneself and how to pursue excellence in your own race in what was an incredibly inspiring conversation. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Just In Stride podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, this was a total recommendation from uh, Kevin Rempel, a guest we've had on a few shows ago. And uh, he just said, like, I have someone great to be on your on your show. And I think you guys should chat. And here here we are. I know Kevin's the best. Like uh, his, his energy is like infectious. Like you can't ignore Kevin's in a room and you're like, oh, my God, this is the best day ever. <laughs> yeah. And how are you guys connected? Through sport, largely. So Kevin was a Paralympic uh, hockey player and I, or sledge hockey player. And I, through my involvement in Olympic track and field, we were in the same circles, often attending different events that would maybe feature Paralympic or Olympic athletes, or um, we were sponsored by the same big Canadian bank uh, named Royal Bank of Canada. (laughs) Shout out to them. (laughs) But no longer sponsored. But yeah, Kevin and I shared some sponsors, did a bunch of events together and um, and then we were just like kindred spirits on like our ability or not our ability, our desire to want to make an impact and share our stories and see how we could help other people. And so we eventually just like became besties. Mm-hmm. And would you say like that's common in the like Olympic world, like through, you know, you guys play different sports and I, I'm always curious to know, you know, amongst runners, let's say, or amongst uh, competitors on, uh, or teammates, mm-hmm. how that goes. but you know, you guys are kind of cross sports and do you think that's common amongst fellow Canadian Olympians? I think that every professional organization or like even every industry is small, right? It's like people always talk about like if you're, you're 
I don't involved in HVAC as your business. You're like, well, the HVAC, HVAC business is small. You know everyone. And like, then you're an Olympic athlete. You're like, well, the Olympic like circles are small, so you know everyone. And so it's like your your networking communities can feel small when you like kind of live in those silos and bubbles. And so I would say that there's a good amount of kind of cross-pollination, but not a ton because you're often with your team and you might be at your training camps for your specific sport and then only at like major games or maybe yeah like how Kevin and I was through some events um do you ever actually start to meet athletes of other sports and so that was one of the coolest things about the Olympics was they have these buildings that are essentially like condo buildings and there's one building for each country and in each country houses every sport of um and so there would be kind of a common room that you'd go down to and you could watch the sports if you weren't competing that day. And so then you'd have like the field hockey players, the beach volleyball players, you know, some of the track athletes and you'd meet these people and just be like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> lovely to meet you. I've seen, you know, Olympics Canada share a story about your team. And now suddenly I'm like, I'm putting faces to names or I'm meeting the, the human behind that. And so, um, it's like, yes, circles are small, but no, you don't actually get as much interaction with the other teams as you might think. Mm-hmm. And like, are are you guys like sharing Olympic stories you know, or <laughs> origin stories? Like what's the, Certainly like, how do like, you connect? You know, this yeah. is like the pinnacle of a lot of people's <laughs> careers. Not everyone gets to go to the Olympics period or gets to return. Some, some are multi-time Olympians. Sometimes it's a first time, one and done, yeah. you know. I would say like at the Olympics, for sure, you're kind of sharing your how did you get here moment and, you know, what was your run up like and what adversity did you face and how did you overcome that? Um, and so at the Olympics, for sure, it's a lot of that. And and then I think outside of that, like connecting with with Kevin or with other people that we've come across in our sporting careers, like it's like you're you're connecting on maybe your shared pursuit of excellence or maybe you're both going through an injury and you're sharing what chiropractor and physiotherapist you're going to see um, and things like that. So yeah, you would connect on all kinds of things, but certainly in the Olympic village. Yeah. You're, you're kind of sharing your, how was it for you getting here in this moment? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And was it like everything that you expected becoming Olympian and, and being at the Olympics? Yes. And no, (laughs) like, of course, like you have this big goal and this big vision of like what it's going to be like to become an Olympic athlete. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, people are probably like forever. I'm going to be a shining star and, and the Olympics is a really big deal. And the the village is spectacular and everything's at your fingertips. Like there's a hair salon and a, at the Olympic village, you can get food everywhere like there's tiny little cafes there's the whole olympic village cafeteria that has every food you could imagine um there are people giving you gear and kits and like all this different stuff through the olympics be like wear this and you know beats headphones we're giving olympic athletes away like here wear our headphones wear our headphones do all this stuff and so you you became this like glamorous celebrity for like two weeks and that is what i expected it to you know it was it was the wow factor it was the things i read about um in other Olympic years of like how fun and cool the Olympics were. But then it's like, I went home at the end of that two weeks and it's like, my apartment is still my small apartment and I 
still take out my own garbage yeah. and have to go back to training. Like, it's not like I just ride into the sunset. And so I think a lot of athletes deal with this kind of like crash and burn on the other side where you, you reach this pinnacle of your sport. And then on the other side, you're kind of like, oh, it doesn't last forever. Or like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get to live this glamorous lifestyle forever. And, and I think it, that's, that's the case for, for every area of interest, for every pursuit of excellence, you know, you might be pushing towards a promotion or pushing towards a title or finalizing like a big project. And you assume that like, once you get that and, and maybe you get the recognition, maybe you get the, the sense of pride that like, that's going to sustain you. <laughs> and suddenly you realize that like, okay, like there's a next chapter now. And we kind of finish exactly where we started and we got to keep the train moving. And that can be exhausting and tiring and, and kind of deflating because you're suddenly like, oh, all of that run up, all of that effort, like it can just come to an end. And I think that there's this really important mindset piece that I'll often feel you know, very strongly about sharing with other people that I talk about kind of what I call them as like silver medal moments where if if you're in pursuit of something and whether it goes perfectly to plan and yeah, you make the Olympics and it's highlighted and it's exciting or you are running for that, you know, big promotion or salary band that you're hoping to get to and you fall short of that goal. If If we keep our mindset so fixed on the outcome and we forget about kind of there is a next chapter then often we can we can find ourselves falling off the edge of the cliff as soon as the finish line of that pursuit ends and so we have to think about this as more of a continuous journey of like mm-hmm. well who am I becoming through this process and how am I evolving as a person as a friend as a partner as a colleague as an employee as a person like all of these different ways because that's what's also ultimately going to sustain us. It's not going to be the outcome. It's going to be the actions, the person we become through that process. Mm-hmm. And do you think uh, you think a lot of people think about the plan B, or does the the thought of what to do next only come once that thing is done? Well, I think the distinction here is thinking about things as a plan A and a plan B, and instead, it's ultimately like I'm setting a goal. It's not plan A. What it is, is it's an inspiration point. It's a thing to help get me started. It's a thing to help motivate me. Mm -hmm. And it's not that if I don't get this, well, I'm resorting to plan B. I'm going to the backup or I'm finishing less than. And instead, it's kind of like whether the goal was goal A or goal B, how does the challenge of those goals, either one, help you evolve and develop as a person, as, like I said, a, a colleague, a friend, whatever that is, that if, if we think about it in the mindset of, okay, here's plan A, and, and that's, that's the only definition of success, and if not, I guess I'll go for plan B, which is this less than definition of success. Well, now we set ourselves up to fall off the edge of the cliff versus... Mm-hmm looking at it as like goal setting is ultimately just a spark of inspiration, a tailwind to help us develop skills, relationships, lessons, um, all of that. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's so important. I think it's, 
maybe easier said than done at times. Like, because mm-hmm. I think even if you think about what you what will come next or what you'll do next, you don't always necessarily handle things the way you think you you will or would or ideally would like to. Yeah. Also, so yeah, so that becomes a challenge. Also, like how what you say you're going to feel and what you actually feel is different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you, you could become so fixated on outcome of like, mm-hmm. unless I achieve this definition of success, I have failed. And when I think about my pursuit to the Olympics, it's like, I would get so focused on, yes, I need to make it there. I want to be in the final, you know, my second Olympics. I wanted to win a medal when I was in my pursuit of my second Olympics. And I would put all of this pressure and all of this stress on myself, even on like the workouts leading up to it, because I was so fixated on outcome of like, this workout needs to be this fast, this race I need to win. I need to make it to the Olympics and outcome is important. But instead, if I could have emphasized, okay, I'm going to show up to this workout and I'm going to make sure that I am fighting in the moments where fighting to rise above that voice of self-doubt in the moments where it's starting to overcome me and I exercise that, well, that's a skill I'm developing that I'm going to be able to use and translate across my whole life. And if I would have had that as the goal and the objective, as the action I'm going to choose to take, not the outcome of the workout of this fast, but instead, what is the mindset principle I'm going to sharpen? Who is the, what's the skill I'm going to develop through this process? Mm-hmm. Then if I would have had that, maybe the workouts wouldn't have taken on so much pressure, so much stress that if the workout went well, I was happy. And if it didn't go well, I was sad. <laughs> and instead I could have found so much more joy in that pursuit. Um, and so I think as we all pursue different goals, it's like, how can we focus on actions over outcomes? Because mm-hmm. maybe now we'll start to realize that it's more about the goals we set becoming the inspiration to challenge us to become a certain kind of person in that process rather than being defined by the outcome itself. Yeah. Cause there's so much in terms of like development that we can gain from all these experiences. And it sounds like you've learned so much go looking back. Would you have done it differently? Yeah. Like I think, I think that I would have, like I said, I had just so much, I don't know what to call it. Like I put all this pressure on myself that I was wrapped up and defined by being an Olympic athlete and by being good at track and field and being successful. And instead of kind of treating track and field like my job, which eventually it became, had I have been able to treat it instead like this thing that's part of my life, but I am more than just my sport, mm-hmm. then I think I could have probably avoided a lot more injuries because I wouldn't have pushed myself beyond that red line where I was, I was going to do the workout regardless if it was going to, if I was going to get hurt, if, if I was exhausted, if I knew it was a bad idea, there was something in the back of my mind that would say to me, like, you might tear your hamstring today or, Hey, your femur is stress fractured. You probably shouldn't keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I would do things differently knowing what I know now, because I probably would remove some of the pressure of you have to do this because it's your job and there's there's no backing down from this. And instead recognizing that 
this is a part of your life. If, if you don't have things go perfectly to plan, there are so many other facets of you to, to make this day successful. And so I think I would have adopted a different mindset that would have allowed me to make training and Olympic level sport a part of my life, not my whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of it too. Like what, what do you associate with? What makes you who you are? And a lot of the times mm -hmm. we link ourselves to a specific sport and there's a lot that goes into that because we, it's like, it requires such dedication and then yeah. we don't know who we are without it. And I think like movement and everything is, is super important in one's life, but there's so much more behind the person, you know, than, than just the sport. But unfortunately, like what we see, we see an Olympian, let's say, or, absolutely, and, you know, those are the things that end up defining us, um, maybe to other people, but it's important. Like if we have something else, like, uh, we're, we're a parent or we're a sibling or a son or daughter, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it helps yeah. us find our purpose later on. And I think it's like, I'm, I'm grateful to have learned this lesson in sport of, okay, when you make it your whole world and you make it your job, when you define yourself by the outcome, you, you make a living, you don't make a life. And yeah. instead now, like with what I'm doing with my career and running leadership programs and doing keynotes and working with organizations and their high performers that like, if I'm like, okay, I need to get on that big stage or I need this client to like me or I want this to go so well that all the feedback is positive. If I wrap myself up in that definition of success, then again, I'm, I'm making a living. I'm not making a life of like, well, this the program probably is still going to continue to involve, to evolve. And I am going to consistently learn things along the way. And now my my speeches and the programs I run, like it's not the only version of who I am. And I can now start to realize that like, I want this to be sustainable. And in order for that to be sustainable, I can't, I can't push myself over that red line. Like I did in sport, which, which ultimately led me to being injured all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find this balance where you start to incorporate all the, the things you're passionate about, which absolutely like be inspired by outcome. Let that push you, you know, beyond what you would do if you just kind of like, I don't know, I'll just see what happens, <laughs> but don't define yourself by that outcome because ultimately then you, you're, you're not making this life. You're not incorporating. It's not going to be sustainable. Right. Let's, before we get too far into the Olympics and after let's kind of rewind a little bit and get yeah. to know you um, just to kind of what got you to this point, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Were you athletic as a kid? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Always things that I like to ask um the guests that I have on because I, I know how I started and it certainly you know movement was always a part of it moving around playing hockey and stuff but mm -hmm. um how I got to endurance sports I have no idea <laughs> no uh, similarly I guess getting into track and field was not something I was like oh I one day one day I want to be an Olympic athlete that was not something that ever came out of my mouth <laughs> I genuinely didn't think I was athletic because in high school, I got cut from every single sports team in the ninth grade. I tried out for basketball, volleyball, soccer, field hockey, badminton, like you name it, I tried out. Got cut from all the teams. <laughs> and um, my high school teacher saw me in gym class and was like, oh, I just saw you run up to that soccer ball. Like, you can accelerate. Like, you should come up for the track team. And I was like, you probably don't want me on the team. <laughs> like, I already got cut <laughs> from every team at this school. 
And he's like, no, 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 I think you could be good. And uh, that high school teacher and I ended up starting to train together. And, and he believed in me before I ever believed in myself and fostered kind of my, my foundational skill sets. And eventually that coach and I, my high school teacher, we stayed as coach and athlete for the next nine years until we made the Olympics together. And so I wasn't athletic. Like I wasn't, I didn't even know trying to go to the Olympic games was something I would ever have as a goal. And I really think my activity like you was just foundational movement. I kind of did gymnastics a little bit. I did softball. I did soccer. I played hockey for a year. And I just, I think there's a lot of pressure these days on young athletes to specialize early and get in. And, and for certain sports that is required because you peak in swimming at like 16 or 17, (laughs) but, um, and gymnastics, of course, as well, you peak super young, but for many sports, if you didn't get started at five, you're probably still okay. (laughs) And there's such an urgency to specialize when there's so much value in actually diversifying our skill sets. And that can come, you know, through sport of what that looks like to have relative strength and overall body awareness in all these different sports. That can also be true of our careers where we can be so focused on specializing early. You know, you're at 17 years old, students are selecting their their majors and being like, okay, here's my path for life now. And we have this urgency to specialize and and make sure we define ourselves in a category. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why not sprinkle a little bit of everything in, let that lay an amazing foundation and then start to follow the path down Mm -hmm. one direction. And yeah, like I said, that could be true of sport and certainly in our careers. And I think for me, I didn't even start track and field until high school. So people are like, I often will tell young athletes that come up to me, I'm like, look, I didn't find track and field till I was 15 years old. You're seven. I promise you, you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's nuts. I I, similarly, I started playing hockey and soccer at like 12. um, Just because I like always like playing sports, but I never wanted to play in league or anything. And my my dad always said, like, I didn't want to push you. And but when you ask me, I was ready, you know, to to put you in a sport. Yeah. It's a little late. It was a little late in my opinion, but that's okay. You know, he kind of yeah, let me yeah. figure it out. And I think that's, I, I like what you said there. Cause especially in, in kids development that we, you know, what if you play sports and you don't, and your kid doesn't want to play sports. What if yeah. they want to learn music or like by pushing something on a kid or putting them in this box, you limit their potential and, and like, your coach saw that you had an interest and you had some ability. And that was, I always ask people, did you see potential in yourself or was it somebody that saw it in you first? And sometimes kids, I guess, have this God-given gift and they find it themselves. But if not, it's got to be a mentor like, like the one you had. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like I am so grateful for that high school teacher and, you know, eventually my very longtime coach because like I said, he really believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And I think mentorship and having someone in your life to show you what's possible is so important. And you don't even have to know that person. You know, like there's, we have access to so much information now through the internet. Like you can be inspired by someone who's a YouTuber. You're like, wow, look what they're doing. Look what out, look what they're out there 
creating or impacting or whatever, um, but to just have someone to show you what's possible. And I'll often share a story um, about a teammate of mine who I was training with leading into the London Olympics, where his name was Massimo and he was a decathlete, which is the the track and field event where you have to do 10 different events and add up all the score. And then the highest score wins the decathlon. Mm -hmm. It's a super grueling event and it's, you know, wildly athletic. And so Massimo in 2008, before the Beijing Olympics, we were training both of us um, at the university of Toronto, which is where I did my post-collegiate or my collegiate and post-collegiate training. And Massimo I knew was trying to pursue the Beijing 2008 Olympics. And in my head, I was like, well, anyone who makes the Olympics is perfect. You know, like they have a perfect season. They don't get injured. They miss no training days. They win every race they're in, you know, it has to be the perfect flawless season in order Mm -hmm. to make this impossible dream come true. And in the run-up leading into the Beijing Olympics, Massimo spent some time on the sidelines. He got injured. I saw him kind of conk out in some workouts He had some amazing workouts as well, but he also had some bad days. And in the end, at the 2008 Olympic trials, Massimo makes the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And it just like blew my mind. Like, oh, so you don't have to be perfect to make the Olympics. And that, that like witnessing that pursuit just immediately showed me what was possible. Mm -hmm. And so for the London Olympics, I'd had an injury leading into that and I was sidelined and everyone said, you know, you might not make it, but I had this kind of hope through Massimo that like, it doesn't have to go perfectly to plan. Like this is all still possible. And so mentorship, having that source of inspiration, someone to show you what's possible is like integral in helping you achieve what's possible for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, this coach that you had, he, so he followed you all the way through he or she, I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, did he have a background in Olympic training or did he just, were you like the horse and <laughs> <laughs> like that, that you were the meal ticket and that was <laughs> yeah, right, right. like, did he have an Olympic team or that he was training so and and, which, school... and you found, you found hurdling as your, yeah. mm-hmm. as your, your, your sport mm-hmm. think, that you liked. So how did you come about that? Yeah. My high school teacher was also the varsity coach at the university of Toronto. Okay. So he wasn't just this like, you know, walk <laughs> off the street and was like, I don't know. I'll train this girl to the Olympics, I guess, you know, like with this clipboard. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think I got a whistle back there somewhere. <laughs> Hang um, on a sec. I haven't used it. In a few. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, he did have credibility and okay. skill and, um, but he had never coached someone all the way to the Olympics yet. So I was his mm-hmm. first athlete that he had coached all the way to the Olympics. And um, yeah, he, he he helped me find, he loved hurdles. <laughs> he was a hurdles coach. And so when I had this ability, when he saw me kind of like run up to a soccer ball, dead stop, do nothing with the soccer ball and then accelerate away <laughs> again, he was like, oh, you can like run, dead stop, run. And so he's like, I want to mm-hmm. teach you a hurdle. Okay. And so that's how I found hurdling. And he, he was he was brilliant at what he does and and it and you know is brilliant. Um one thing that he did that was such a differentiator was when I first got into the sport, um everyone has a favorite leg, like a leg you like to jump over the hurdle with that is 
more powerful, feels more smooth and natural to you. The same way that you have a favorite leg to kick a soccer ball, mm-hmm. I have a favorite leg to jump over the hurdle with. Mm-hmm. And when I first started training, of course, you know, you use your your favorite leg. <laughs> and then when I started to get into, um, there's the sprint hurdles where there's the 100 meters and there's 10 hurdles lined up like bang, 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 all the way down the straightaway. Mm-hmm. I started to specialize in the 400 meter hurdles, which is one big lap around that outdoor track. And there's still 10 hurdles, but they're spaced out 30 meters apart. Okay. Uh, 35 meters. Wow. That's embarrassing. I know that. <laughs> 35 meters apart. And with that, you have to actually start to learn how to hurdle with both legs because at the start of a race, you're more elastic, your muscles, you know, you have more fluidity. Mm. As you start to finish a race, you're more tense, you're exhausted. You've just run 55 or more seconds at your almost max capacity. So your body starts shutting down which means your stride length gets a bit shorter because your muscles are less elastic, which changes the rhythm of your hurdling. Mm -hmm. And so you can no longer always just hurdle with your good leg. Sometimes the way that your stride works out is you get to the next hurdle and uh, your very next step is going to be with your not favorite leg. (laughs) Yeah. And so I call it, you know, some people call it your bad leg. And so my coach one year after getting into the sport made me hurdle an entire season only using my bad leg. He's like, we are going to make your brain <laughs> not be able to tell the difference. You're not going to have a favorite leg. You're going to be able to hurdle with both legs. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely feel like that was part of the secret sauce to my development and and getting to the place that I did because the sprint hurdles, that 100 meter hurdle that I talked about, like 10 hurdles, bang, 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 bang. That one, you always go same leg, same leg, same leg. You go one, two, three hurdle, one, two, three hurdle. And it, it's always the same. Like I had to run as fast as I could, hundred meter hurdles, bang, 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 bang with my bad leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine how much that forced me to have to learn how to be efficient and effective with that wrong leg. Right. And then I could translate that over in the 400 meter hurdles where eventually I would run over the hurdles in the 400 meter hurdles and finish the race and go, did I get my good leg or my bad leg at hurdle seven? Like I couldn't even tell the difference. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm so grateful for him to challenge me to be like, nope, I know it's uncomfortable. I know that it'll feel less efficient and effective at first, but as you get better at this, this is going to be a game changer. I, so your, your strong leg would be for me, in my mind, I would think that I was, I would push off my dominant leg. So, which is my, I kick with my right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I would, push and then my i would my my front foot would be my left leg which would be my my weak side that's kind of how i how i Correct. Would think so if about your it. favorite leg was if you kick a soccer ball with your right leg yeah. likely what you would do is you would plant the same way that you would before a kick before the hurdle you would plant with your left leg oh yeah and then you would jump you would lead with your right leg oh, because okay. you would use the power of your left leg in order to plant and then hurdle the same way that when you're about to kick a soccer ball, you plant with your left and then go to kick with uh, your right. Okay, okay, okay. And so you would you would source your power from the plant of the left leg. Okay, okay, um, okay, okay. But but yes, it is Carol Dweck that does the mindset book. Okay. <laughs> um, and why it was important to me to remember her name um, is because because my coach said yes, hurdling with your left leg and your bad leg, the leg is that feels less efficient, less effective. At the beginning, when you're learning that how to be better with that 
hurt a leg. It's going to be uncomfortable at first, but you're going to develop an ability to now be almost like ambidextrous hurdler. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me this growth mindset around, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be slower with your bad leg than your good leg. And at first that's going to feel backwards. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we using my bad leg to run races if I'm only getting worse and losing more? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, as I developed that skill, when I was able to now go back and use both my good leg and the leg I had been working on to hurdle, now suddenly I was even better. And so um, I think we all, as we enter different pursuits and goals and, and trying to learn different stuff, it's like, if we can adopt that mindset of this might feel like a step backwards at first that I'm learning something new or I'm maybe taking a, a role in a different industry that's at a lower level than what I was over here. But I know that the fast track to a higher level in this new industry is going to accelerate me beyond what I could do in my previous job. Mm-hmm. That step backwards is worth it. And we just have to be comfortable with taking a step backwards for a moment in time to kind of be able to receive that acceleration on the other side. Right. Yeah. You have to, you know, you got to suck at things to <laughs> be better than you ever have. No, yeah, it's true. Right. It's, it's like, true. we like to do what's comfortable. Yeah. What, you know, cause we think that that's what works, but in order to mm-hmm. do it better, well, you know, you got to get out to the driving range and hit pitch shots or sand yeah. shots or, you know, like for golfers or I, there's, tons of analogies for this uh in terms of what we like to do or and doesn't have to be sports it could be just about anything you gotta Mm -hmm. do things you don't like to do so you can you can get better at it like i suck at video editing but now i used to you know now i'm getting much better but the more you do it the better it is the easier it gets and um so what was like the progression like because you know you were talented and then were you winning races? Like, how do you get to the Olympics? You know, what, what's the, in this, in this sport, mm-hmm. it's so, it can be so competitive and like, were you competitive? Were you winning? You know, there's standards and all this stuff, you know, yeah. was it like the perfect storm for you? It, it was a roller coaster ride. Like mm-hmm. every person's, I think, run up to what they're trying to accomplish and achieve. It's like, it's never the walk in the park and lollipops and rainbows the whole time. I did have some early success training under that coach that showed me that I had potential. And I won some races to kind of start that kind of helped spark some of my motivation of like, oh, okay, I could be good at this. Like, oh, maybe this is possible. And then as I started to get better and I made you know my very first um, national team, I made the world youth championships about just almost exactly a year later. And so I was like, oh, okay. And I went to Marrakesh, Morocco to compete on behalf of my country. And suddenly I'm seeing all these people from all over the world and I'm getting to travel to this place I would never have been, like would have traveled to. And so I'm like, oh, this is a way to see the world. Like this isn't just about the competition, but like, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. And so it really lit the fire in me of like, what else can we do? And from that point, you know, now it was becoming more of, my definition of self. It was more of like where my life would align around my training and my recovery. And I, in high school, wasn't necessarily doing all the things that everyone else was doing where I had Saturday morning practices. So Friday nights, I was going to bed early and waking up Mm -hmm. early to get to training. And I 
after a really hard workout on a Saturday, probably am exhausted and don't really want to go out or party or do things like that, even in you know university and college, like because I want to actually go to sleep and absorb all of the hard work I put in that day. And yeah. if you don't go to sleep, you don't reap the benefit of that training. And so um, suddenly, like, you know, I was really putting in the necessary ingredients in order to, to achieve success. But I also, as this success came, was putting all this pressure on myself and started to suddenly feel like I had to win. And if I didn't, I was going to let people down. I was a failure. And so I forgot about this other important aspect of, of rest and recovery and the importance of, of having moments where like, it's okay to not show up every single day and win the workout. And so I started to now get injured because I would be overtraining. I'd be, I would, my coach would, if my workout wasn't hard enough, I didn't go home feeling devastatingly exhausted. I'd be like, today was like barely a workout. What are we doing tomorrow? Like, when are we going to do something harder? Mm-hmm. And it was so hard for me to get out of that mindset. And I honestly don't think I, I ever really did leave that mindset when I was in sport. It's only something reflecting back. I can look back at and see how much I was hurting myself by constantly feeling more is more, more is better. More is going to make me successful. And it's like, not always. <laughs> Sometimes we do need to take rest. Sometimes you do need to take something off of your plate in order to actually create space and get more out of the other thing that you've done. And so for my training, I got super injured by the time I was a few years into the sport. I started, I got a stress fracture in my femur that came back multiple times. I tore my hamstring multiple times. Mm -hmm. I had micro tears in ligaments and different things like that. And I was constantly battling injuries, which many athletes do. But I think it's because of this mindset of more is more and pushing ourselves so hard. And so my run up to the Olympics was some success, then a roller coaster of injury, fight back, injury, fight back, injury, fight back. And then finally, um, after one of my biggest injuries, which was a stress fracture in my femur, femur's biggest bone in your body, um, I come back the year before the Olympics. I had been sitting out for nine months. I only had six months left to qualify. I'd never touched Olympic standard before, so I had no reason to believe I could make it. But on my first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed on my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympics, I'm going to put the rings underneath here. And six months later, I blow my own mind. (laughs) I make the Olympic Games and I'm like, holy moly, believing in yourself works. (laughs) And I ended up going to the London Olympics and finishing as an Olympic semifinalist. And so, yeah, no lollipops and rainbows journey and, and a roller coaster ride. I think the biggest thing I take away from that is A, the importance of rest and recovery and be the power of believing in yourself. Like, holy moly. And needless to say, like you weren't listening to your body at that stage. Um, right. You're just pushing through and just trying to get there any way that you thought you knew how, or just to become the best version of yourself or so you thought. Right. And right. I think it's such a valuable lesson because whether you're a world-class athlete or an amateur getting into the sport, it's mm-hmm. always important. It's never not important. It's we all have our own progression and where we're at in sport. And we all need, you know, it's stress and rest, stress and rest, stress and rest. And that's, that's how we adapt. That's how we improve, but totally. you made it. So was that like a, a, maybe a not so positive aspect of be, 
you know, getting yourself to the Olympics, like in terms of your relationship with sport? Yeah, like I think I would say there you're it was an aspect of my sport that I, I think I would go back and tell myself now to like change the way I perceived it for sure. That I saw sport again as just the definition of who I am. And if I was successful in sport, I was worthy and successful as a person. And I think had I have been able to realize that the goals that I had were exciting and they were inspiring and they created momentum for me. But the thing that I should have been focusing on is like what it was pushing me to become, not necessarily that I am only worthy if I achieve this goal. And so absolutely, I think my relationship to sport could have looked differently and been healthier <laughs> um, that I can only see now looking back. Mm -hmm. And after the Olympics, you know, how long did you see your career going? you know, you reach this, this pinnacle, like how, what's the lifespan of, for, like, did you see something after? Did you see a, a, a beginning and end to this in terms of what you did with your life? I, I think when you're in the moment, yeah, you're, I was so fixated on like achieve the goal, make it to the Olympics that I, I didn't even see beyond my life after sport. Um, certainly in the run up to the London Olympics, which I ultimately ended up qualifying for. It was only once I made the Olympics that everyone was like, hey, so like you should think about what you're going to do after. Mm -hmm. And and then it was like, oh, right. <laughs> There's something the life goes on. And I was still training and, and pursuing, you know, my goal was to make the next Olympics, the Rio Olympics. And I had we had the, the Pan American Games that were hosted the year before the Rio Olympics, which were being hosted in my home city, which I wanted to win a medal at. Ultimately, I did end up winning a silver medal and only losing to the number one ranked girl in the world, which was super exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but through that, fortunately, I had these amazing mentors in my life who had said to me, like, you know, what do you want to do with this platform? Now you're an Olympic athlete. Now you have these stories and lessons you've learned. What do you want to do with that? And originally, I was being invited to speak at my parents, friends, kids, schools. They were like, Hey, you made the Olympics. You believe in yourself. Like, I want my kid to believe in themselves. Like, can you come tell them that? And so I'm like, sure. And I like showed up to a gym and was like, so I was injured and then I believed in myself and then I made the Olympics. Like, you should try it. And then, you know, of course, I did hopefully a better job than that. But that principal then recommended me to another school. And so I did another school. And then I got to do a leadership conference. And then suddenly, you know, one referral leads to the next referral. And then my, then my corporate sponsors were asking me to get on stages and share my story. And I started looking around being like, Oh, this is an industry and people do this. And mm -hmm. I was realizing how much I loved it. Like I loved it. And I was like, this is amazing. Like you, I can use this story to inspire others. And, and it, it ultimately, because in my second run up pursuit of the Rio Olympics, I end up tearing my hamstring right before not qualifying that I went from being Sarah Wells, the Olympian to Sarah Wells, the Olympian who doesn't make the next Olympics. Mm -hmm. I was devastated and hit absolute rock bottom, but I found through sharing the story and finding the lessons and choosing to find the significance in the obstacles that I faced 
suddenly that story had meaning. And I now was, was grateful for having endured something that felt very hard and terrible in the, in the moment. But fortunately have now found a way to have that as, as part of the key lessons and, and the messages that I feel so passionate about sharing. And so my life after sports, suddenly I get to carry this legacy of who I was as an athlete and all the lessons I've learned through that process and use them for good for mm. other people in their own pursuits and, and what they're achieving, what, what struggles they're trying to overcome right now. And so I'm now so forever grateful that some of those mentors back after I made the Olympics kind of encouraged me to be like, you know, what do you want to do with this, with these lessons you've learned? Like, how do you want to use them? And then through getting on stages and, and having the opportunity to speak, like finding what that was for me. Mm -hmm. You had a story to tell. You had a short a story to share, and I think everyone does. You know, everyone's got some kind of absolutely story to share, and you were then given the platform to be able to do that, and and the ears to listen, and that's that's special. You know, that's kind of the goal with this podcast is like sharing these stories of success, ups and downs, and challenges that we face in life. And what would you say that sport, the biggest lessons that sport have taught you? Gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> Probably leans like, into some of the keynote speaking that you do, but. Yeah, like I think um, <laughs> there's so many. I think one is about, gosh, I'm like trying to make these answers, not just like a mishmash of a million things, but it's like <laughs> one, you are not your outcome. You are so much more than whatever result you come up with. Two, sometimes rest is the most productive activity you can do. And we need to, we need to be okay with sometimes taking something off our plate to create more space and capacity to allow us to show up as our best selves in other areas of our life. Three, your highest level of success is not your new baseline. Like you, because you've achieved a certain level of success, it's okay to have an off day. <laughs> It's okay to not hit the mark on the next project. It's okay to be the person who needs to ask for help in some other moments, even though you were the strong one in a different moment. And so your highest level of success is not your new baseline. I also think we need to recognize when sometimes the very thing that has made us successful in the past is going to be the exact thing holding us back from our future success. And for me, I think being the person to get on the track and do the hard work and fight for it, even on the days I didn't want to, made me successful. It's also my biggest demise and why I got injured and why I missed qualifying for my second Olympics and why I had, you know, a hard time in certain moments of my training. Um, I also think sport taught me about the power of mentorship, of how important it is to have someone to show you what's possible and and suddenly realize what you what you might actually be capable of and maybe if you don't believe it in the moment asking yourself the question of like what of this is possible and how can I take a step towards that right now until we start to create that momentum and now suddenly it's like oh okay I'm now starting to see maybe why this could be possible and you start to foster that sense of self-belief mm -hmm. um gosh <laughs> what other things does sport taught sport has taught me everything sport has made me who I am and and I'm forever grateful for sport and the coaches and my teammates who have helped ultimately mold me because I, I, I don't think I would have been this, this person without my time in sport. And I'm sure when you look back 
you know, what were the greatest, like, what were your greatest challenges? Mm-hmm. It, you know, life challenges through sport, through just through life. I mean, I think some of them kind of, we touched upon of like accepting rest <laughs> and yeah. my greatest challenges in sport were, were being willing to take my foot off the gas and recognize that there was value in in having those moments of rest and actually recovering and letting my body absorb the hard work I was doing and mm-hmm. not needing to be so exhausted for it to be worth it, you know, for it to have done something. Um, and I think that was my greatest challenge. And I think I would have had a longer career. I think I would have had a more consistent career as well had I have been willing to accept rest and recovery as part of the journey Mm -hmm. yeah it's more sustainable over time right yeah Um, maybe the reason you know maybe the reason you you made the olympics is going so hard you know i mean that it's a double-edged sword sword there you know and i always believe in in doing things when you can do them also to a certain extent yeah so like you went all in that year and then it ended up happening and who knows you know some some athletes when it comes to standards it could mm-hmm. just be that you that year where it was your off year and you still had a, you still hit the standard, but three people were better than you or whoever, however many right. depends what the sport is, however many people get to go. So yeah, it's so hard to say, you know, but then, you know, you mentioned the challenges, but then, you know, what are your greatest accomplishments in life? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. making the Olympics is one of them. So yeah, I, I know I just recently did like a purpose vision and goals uh, thing for work. Oh, yeah. Um, and this was one of the questions and I found it so fascinating that like, when I look back, even at the last year, the biggest challenges I had in my life ended up being the greatest accomplishments that I had this year. So yeah, I just love that. And, and I don't think we always realize that or acknowledge that. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like, I think, I, I think we do hear this, you know, often where it's like, you know, we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. And like, we, we can like consciously say like, yeah, that seems true. I can, I can logically reason that of like, yeah, I'll learn more from my failures than I will from my successes, but Mm -hmm. we don't actually want it. (laughs) Or like, that's not the path we hope for, of course. Mm -hmm. Or we don't, when we get to the moment of failure, we forget that it's like, there's still a lot to learn here. And there's actually, there's potentially a springboard that's going to push me well beyond what I thought was possible before, because it's now offered me new perspective. Like with every new challenge, you can adopt kind of a new perspective of, well, how would I do that differently next time? Or um, what were some of the actions or things in the lead up that led to this result? And how do I change that going forward? With every new setback, ultimately becomes like new determination, new desire for more. And so I think if we can bring ourselves back to that mindset, we might actually be able to, in those moments of defeat, in those moments of feeling deflated, actually bolster up the courage and the energy we need to take that next step. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a, it's a reminder of that we can work through difficult times yes. and come out on another on the other side. It's so funny when we look back and say, like, oh, that was a, such a difficult time in my life. But you're here today to talk about it. And you're like, I didn't know in the moment how I was going to get through that, but somehow I did, you know? Yeah. That's such a, like a nice thing to look back on, but just to remember those times 
can can mean so much later on. What do you, what do you hope that your messaging helps people with the most? Like, what do you hope that they walk away with when they hear you speak about your story? I think one of the biggest lessons I hope people take away when I run my leadership programs or I'm on a stage doing keynotes is ultimately this, the the power and capacity we have to write our own story and choose our own destiny and create our own path. And that's going to look different for each person. But if we genuinely feel like if anyone can do this, it's me. That there's so much power in that. If you have a clear vision and a clear goal of kind of like, this is the direction I'm headed, that you can get so much closer than you ever thought possible. And I think sharing my story of overcoming my setbacks and, you know, getting the word believe tattooed on my wrist and then making the Olympics can show people the power of that self-belief. And again, just kind of encouraging them that even if they don't have that sense of self-belief right now, asking themselves, well, what if this is possible? And how can I take that first step forward so that they start to create some momentum? And I think if, if, if people can take that message away, I can get them into momentum and I can get them into action, which would be such a gift to be able to offer that and, and put some people in the position to start to pursue their goal. But I think the second thing that I want them to take away is to not just say, okay, now I'm in motion of the goal and the goal is the goal. <laughs> But instead, help them recognize that this pursuit of excellence is the goal (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that who they are going to get to become through the process of setting really challenging goals, of things that push them outside of their comfort zone, that things that help them uncover skills and abilities that they didn't even know that they had, that that is going to be such an amazing revolution for people to walk away with and, and hopefully have with them on their own evolution through success. And so, um, you know, the, I hope people take away the power of self-belief and that the pursuit of excellence is the goal. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I truly believe what you're saying. You know, it, it's just easier said than done. And I think action is always the most difficult thing. It's yeah. not the idea of going and running. It's uh, putting on my shoes and all my clothes to get out the door and actually do, and actually going, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, it's funny, just kind of, kind of before I came on here, I, I just checked your Instagram fast and I saw your story about the push-ups. Yeah. Um, and you hated doing push-ups, and that that's actually a challenge that I gave myself this year because I'm I don't do enough strength work in my opinion. Right. And I run a lot, but I don't, you know, training for marathons, triathlon, whatever. But I don't do strength. So my goal was like, I can make time one minute a day to do 20 push-ups and my goal became to do 20 push-ups a day every single day mm-hmm. starting you know these new year's resolutions but yeah yeah yeah. i don't know it sparked something in me you know so and and through that process you know then you start to think about that with other things like if i can do 20 push-ups and that was difficult at the beginning like you were describing in your in your post yeah you know, then, then 20 becomes easy and then I can do 25 and then 25 becomes easier and I can do 30 in, in one sitting. And that's all yeah. it is really. That's all it yeah. is. But now I'm starting to think about it in terms of like language and, and skills and other things, you know, because what I do well is run. I run every day and I right. train and whatever, but apply, taking those lessons and applications and putting it into something else 
isn't it makes sense, but it's not super obvious, you know? Right. And so immediately I related to something that you didn't like to do back in the day. And I thought about that in my own kind of growth, you know? Yeah, no. And, and I can share the story a little bit so everyone kind of knows what we're talking about. But yeah. um, my coach used to make me do 55 seconds worth of push-ups, and I hated freaking push-ups. Like I, after like 10 push-ups, I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. This is over. This is terrible. And I sucked at push-ups and I hated them. Mm-hmm. And so you know, to do 10 pushups, like you said, takes like 20 seconds. Yeah. And so what my coach had me do as we approached kind of the competition season is pushups were something I could do every single day. And it wouldn't really affect the other elements of my training of like sprinting and hurdling. And so what we were doing is we were practicing the mindset of wanting to give up, despising the discomfort, but having to rise above that and keep pushing. And so my coach would have me do 55 seconds, which just so happens to be the exact length of time to run a 400 meter hurdle race where halfway through, I'm already like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm not going to make it. Oh my gosh, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep going. And then Mm -hmm. I'd hit 35 seconds and be like, oh my God, my arms are giving out. I can't keep going. Like my body's shutting down. Like these were almost like in parallel, the thoughts I would think as I'm getting to different points and checkpoints around the 400 meter hurdle track. And so it allowed me in a in a safe way to practice disciplining my mindset, my body to rise above that voice of self-doubt and keep going when I needed mm-hmm. to. It allowed me to practice that voice and overcome that voice of self-doubt in a safe environment that would then translate onto the track. And so that I could, when I get into a moment in a race and I'm at the second last hurdle and I'm thinking, I can't keep going. I know how to rise above that voice because I've practiced it in the push-ups. And so it's, as you said, now your, your experience has been your, you've done this, you have your own push-up goal. And now you're mm-hmm. thinking about, well, if I can do that with push-ups, can I learn a new language? Can I chip away at that? Can I do this? And so every opportunity we have to exercise discipline or to exercise a skill like overcoming the voice of self-doubt, every time you commit to that goal allows you an opportunity to now refine and strengthen that muscle that you can then translate to other areas of your life. And so for me, it was push-ups into a 400 hurdle race. For you, it's now push-ups maybe into learning a new language. For yeah. others, it might be <laughs> push-ups into um, maybe being able to start working out every day or, you know, I'm thinking of something not athletic, but like they- yeah, Reading, it could be reading. Yeah, it could be reading, 100%. Like I or wanted to read 10 books in a year. Yeah, and so if I can do, if I can make time for 10 push-ups a day, I can read 10 pages of a book a day. Mm-hmm. And so, um, exactly. I actually heard that on a podcast not too, like recently about, um, at, and at the end of life, something people say is that they regret not doing X. And it was like simple things. It was like picking up an instrument or learning this skill or- right. You know, and I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting because like time, we think we don't have time and then life passes us by and then we don't end up doing certain things that we always wanted to do, but just didn't know how or, and this is kind of falling in that thing. It's like, if you want to learn something, you just got to chip away. If you want to become an Olympian, you know, you took steps to get yourself there. If you want to be a musician or if you want to read a book, it, it's one page, it's yeah. two pages, you know, um, I love that I'm having this conversation with you because it's like really in the mindset that I'm in and I'm, yeah, you know, I try talking to people about it, but it's, 
you know, it makes sense, but it's like, it's life's hard, you know? It's Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. It's It definitely is something, I, I often will say, like, I'm very fortunate to have been put in positions that have challenged me in ways that show me how important the application of some of these skills are. Where, like, some people are like, oh, well, they don't know how to, they don't know how to push themselves. I'm like, no, they've never been given the opportunity to push themselves because if they had, or they were put in the position or, or supported or challenged in a certain way and shown that they could do that, I think that they would know because that could, could transfer that skill. So like you said, like you can, you can talk about pushing yourself. You can talk about chipping away, but unless you've, you've kind of been encouraged or supported through a journey that, that kind of forces you to chip away at something, you don't even realize the power in it. And so mm. I feel so lucky to have gone through an experience and in, in my time in sport and otherwise um, to have been given the opportunity to push myself as far as I did, because I think now I, now I know. <laughs> and so like you're doing this public speaking now, but what did you study? Like was, did you, <laughs> yeah. did you have a thought for what you wanted to do after sport or? I, because of my area and interest in sport, I, I took, kinesiology and okay. studied like human kinetics and physiology and anatomy. And I was like, I don't know, like maybe I'll do something in this direction, but I really hadn't thought about like, what would be the career path? Like, would I be nurse? Would I be physiotherapist? Would I be, you know, who knew athletic trainer? Um, but yeah, I'm doing nothing with that now. Like I, okay. <laughs> everything is leadership development and it's not a, nothing to do with, uh, with kinesiology at all. So, so where can people like find out more about you, about what you do? So, um, people can, Find me on the internet. I'm sure that if you Google Sarah Wells hurdler or Sarah Wells Olympian, you'll find me. But my website is sarahwells.ca, Sarah with an H, Wells, W-E-L-L-S. And my Instagram and TikTok is sarahwells400mh, like 400 meter hurdles. Big regret on the social handle. So long. It's so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can check out all the leadership programs on sarahwells.ca. Uh, see the keynote speaking that I do and would love to hear from people who are looking to invest in their mindset. And um, certainly if you lead a team and run any type of conference, that's something that I do quite regularly. And like I said earlier, is a massive passion of mine. Like I am so, so lucky to get to do what I do. So would love to hear from the audience listening. And do you do it like on a one-on-one -on -one level as well? I don't. So um, okay. I largely work with teams of different organizations and companies um, and we'll do their, like I said, kind of conferences that they might run, bring together a big part of the team or for leadership development programs. Often they'll work, I'll work with like a group of 30 to 50 high performers and we do a, a kind of six month long group coaching uh, program that consists of not just pre-recorded videos, like it's like actual leadership trainings and applications yeah. that we're doing live, which is super fun. So cool. And I got to navigate that website too. It's, it's amazing. It shares your story and everything you do and some really like nice short videos too, um, <laughs> that I, that I enjoyed well, and uh, just as much as I've enjoyed this chat with you, Kevin was spot on. I love <laughs> connecting with you and, and having this conversation, Sarah, and I wish you all the best and, and look forward to see what you do next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This has been a blast. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Just In Stride podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please take a minute after this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. With your feedback, we'll be able to make the show even better and it'll help us reach new listeners too. 
You can also find us on Instagram at JustinStridePod for all the latest episodes and updates. Of course, this show wouldn't be possible without a solid team behind me, with logo and design by Vanessa Pugliese, as well as audio, music, and editing by Forrest McKay. A huge thank you goes out to both of them. Guest outreach, social media, writing, and advertising are handled by me, your host, Justin Pugliese. Finally, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for coming along for the ride with Justin Stride.